Hello and welcome to Property Money Trees, Maximising Property Values, the once a month show where I break down the steps of how to recognise, enhance and then extract the values in property in order to create wealth. Would you like to find out how you can benefit from the steps of maximising property values? This is even if you don't own a property yet or have a deposit. If that's a yes, then you're in the right place to find out. My name is Patricia Ogunfaber, and although many know me for my work as a solicitor, on this show, you will be getting the benefit of my 30 plus years worth of experience of maximising property values, experience which has given me a net worth in millions. So who might benefit from listening to this show? Literally anyone with an interest in creating property wealth. To maximise property values, I have found that I go through three steps that can be summarised as one, recognise and secure, two, enhance, three, exploit. By the time you've maximised property values, you're already at the finish line. But where does the whole process start? If you don't recognise and secure, you can't begin the process of maximising property values. It all starts with recognising and securing that property which can help you create wealth and independence. I call those properties the killer properties. I'm splitting the recognise and secure parts of the first step because these are each so important that they can't be rushed. Together, they form the foundations of maximising property values. I'll talk about the recognised part today and the secure bit in the next episode, which will land on the 1st of August. So please do come back then to listen. Welcome to the first true episode of Maximising Property Values. And thank you very much to Property Data, the sponsor of this episode. Property Data, as we shall see later on, makes dealing with this first crucial step straightforward and accessible to everybody. So let's get started. To truly maximise property values, we need to have succeeded in all three steps. What normally works for me? Well, I have five things that stop me from rushing off in a panic to buy some useless piece of property and which also help me make a move so that I'm not forever procrastinating. These things are more or less in my subconscious now, but I'm going to try and express them and relate them to our goal of being in a position to recognise the best properties for us. So the question was, can we succeed at all four steps? So tip number one. Sometimes scoring 100% is improbable. Allow yourself the success of a 60 or even 55% score. So to remind you, the steps are summarised as follows. 1. Recognise and secure. 2. Enhance. 3. Exploit. Believe me, succeeding in just two of them can still make you serious money. There are examples on propertymoneytree.co.uk in the 295k to 395k flip example. I was only able to tick the enhance and the exploit boxes, but still grossed a £100,000 profit. And that was good for just under six months worth of ownership. 
We'll look at the six month ownership rule a bit more when we get to the exploit step because it's very important if you need or want to sell to somebody who needs to borrow some money or even if you yourself in certain circumstances need to remortgage and even just one successful step can pay a year's wages for most people tip number two don't rush into property dealings take your time i think it's very important for me to try and take some time explaining what the recognized step means to me so that we're all on the same page. But it doesn't really matter what you call this step as long as it helps to ground you. That's why I use the word recognize. I've been asked a number of times why I use that word and not just find all the words look for or any other synonym. And it's because I like to tell myself that I don't go looking. I'm simply on the lookout. Okay, fair enough. My husband will say that is splitting hairs. And maybe it is, but it just works for me. We've all got to do what works for us. So if I see something good, I'll grab it. I'm quite sure that if in my head I thought I was looking and I was still looking after a month, I'd start to feel under a lot of pressure. I'd be out there, I think, looking at stuff that I wouldn't normally consider. But when I tell myself all I'm doing is trying to recognise good value that might be out there, it just kind of like just gives me a bit more space, a bit more room to breathe. And that's why I call the step recognise, just because it works for me. Again, you know what it's like when you go shopping for something that you need. And I think the ladies who might be listening might just relate to me on this. You either compromise or you overpay. And I feel it's the same with property. You can't go out there when you actually feel that you need to buy something because you will end up compromising or overpaying. And if you're looking to maximise property values, you really can't afford to do that. If you go out there feeling a need to do whatever it is you're looking to do, to either buy or get into a joint venture or collaborate, then the chances of you making a mistake are quite high. And the more mistakes you make, the less value you will be able to exploit. Recognise is not just about below market value properties. These are normally referred to as B. MVs, but because they're actually quite important in the general scheme of us being able to maximise property values, I will do a bonus scene on them. People can get hung up on BMVs such that they actually miss a killer property because to them, if it's not a BMV, it's no good. When you recognise though, you're not necessarily looking for a BMV. You definitely don't need a BMV to make money or to create wealth. So I bought a flat in 2018 for £10,000 above the asking price. It's the example on propertymoneytree.co.uk forward slash examples that I say went up from 350k to 500k. And it was actually valued at 575k after I finished the works. But in all honesty, I think the valuer must have been at the wine before she wrote her report. 
because its true value was, and still is, just under £500,000. My point here is that if you spend time looking for BMVs, you might be letting a bigger fish slip through the net. If I'd been insistent on finding that elusive BMV, I would have missed out on this particular flat. So whilst you will definitely be maximising property values if you can get a BMV and all the other steps are a success as well, don't let the lack of a BMV stop you from still making good money and starting to create or increase your wealth. Tip number four, and this is particularly for people just starting out, you don't have your own property, you don't have your own deposit. So what I want to say is that you don't have to own a property to A, recognise its maximising property values potential, or B, being in a position to share in its values. And that what you really should perhaps focus on right now is to play to your strengths. In the trailer to the show, I mentioned that the show would be equally good for those who don't already own or can't buy property because they don't have a deposit. And that is because when you have a good understanding of a situation, you can still make serious money from it, given the opportunity. I hope this show helps you start to think about how you too can make money from property values without actually owning yet. To give an example, In 1848, there was a gold rush in California. The first man to make a million dollars was a man called Sam Brannan. He didn't work in or own the mill where the gold had first been discovered, but he cornered the market in selling pots, pans and shovels that the gold diggers needed. Now, do you know what? That's always fascinated me. And it just, it gives a great example of people playing to their strengths and making the best of whatever opportunities are out there for them. So if you don't own anything yet or you don't have a deposit, but you are interested in creating property wealth, what do you have? What are you good at? Do you have a valuable skills set? Pots, pans and shovels or the equivalent? If so, Maybe see if you can link up with a developer and get paid in part through shares in the developer's company for now. Maybe seek to agree bonuses if you bring killer deals to the developer's table. Be creative. Be a Sam Brennan. You can make money from property as well, even though you don't own the property and even though you don't have enough money by way of deposit so that you can actually buy your own property. Once you have an understanding of what is required to maximise property values, even if you can't sell the gold diggers, pots, pans and shovels, you can sell them food. As in that gold rush, even egg sellers made a killing. Tip number four, improve yourself. Whether you can start the maximising property values journey by owning now, whether you already own, or even if you won't be in a position to buy just yet, you can still always improve yourself now. Can you get better at what you do, especially if it will complement your property journey? So with me, even after many years of turning ugly properties into beautiful ones, I started an interior design course 
Many people who know me said I knew all that I needed to know in that area and was simply wasting money, but I disagreed. I thought to myself, even if I finish the course and don't pick up anything new, my money would have been well spent in bringing me the confirmation that I did know it all. As it is, I started picking up new skills from lesson one. They were very simple and obvious things. Some of them so obvious that I'd overlooked them, but now are part of my growing and continuing skills set. Sometimes the most simple things make a profound difference. By taking the time to learn the skills, I'm also saving myself the cost of employing an interior designer. Tip number five, spend time doing research. Research, research, and then research some more. The more research you do, the more knowledge you acquire, and so will your understanding grow. And as your understanding grows, the easier it's going to be for you to recognise. I believe research is my strength. It is now second nature to me. As a solicitor, if you don't know what you're talking about, invariably somebody's going to sue you in negligence and you're going to be in trouble. So you just had to know your stuff. You did the research, you made sure you knew it, and you made sure that you didn't make any mistakes when you were advising your clients. I apply the same ethos to property. Back in the day, as my children referred to my life before them, properties were advertised in the local paper, which was delivered once a week, and in a classified ads newspaper called Loot. I'd buy my property loot whenever it was published and go through it meticulously. It gave me a very good understanding of trends and prices in areas around me. But thanks to property data, all of that information is now at our fingertips. So how do you recognise a killer property? How do I? The simple answer is, do a lot of research. It takes me months to find a killer property. Hours and hours and hours every day. Research helped me to fully recognise a house I bought last year. I paid £420,000 for it and it now earns £4,620 a month. I'll tell you the story about that at the end of the episode. How do I do my research? Well, this is a fairly detailed topic. So if I'm losing you, just know that I'm also offering free 10 minute Zoom one-to-ones to the first 10 subscribers who ask for this after each episode. So please don't despair not just yet. In those meetings, we can drill down further into today's topic. So not all is lost. Okay, so property data really does help me, but I don't just use property data. I use property data at the end, but in the beginning, I start my searches with the property selling portals and I usually use Rightmove. So Rightmove can be found at rightmove.co.uk. Then once I've zeroed in on a few properties, usually two or three, I shift to property data and then the fun really begins. But then how do I identify those few? In summary, you need an area. So that could be a road, a postcode, a village, a town, a city, a county, or even larger than that. As to how broad your search is, 
will depend on your personal circumstances. I try not to target anything that is more than a one and a half hours drive from where I live because I'm very hands-on. I'm usually on site every single day. When I was looking for my last HMO, my search terms in Rightmove were for semis because I like everyone in my HMOs to have garden access. And sometimes you can't achieve this with mid terraces. And the detached houses in the area I was looking in were far too expensive. So they were out of the question. Some people might be asking right now, well, why not a large flat? The answer is very simple. If you let rooms out, individual rooms in a flat, you will be in breach of your lease. And that means that the freeholder can then swoop in and forfeit your lease, meaning they can just take it away from you. So I would never let out individual rooms in a flat as you would rooms in a house as an HMO where I didn't own all the flats in the block. Now, if you own all the flats in the block, then you can actually do that because you're the freeholder, you can give yourself permission and you're not actually causing any disadvantage to any of the other owners of the other flats in the block. So if there are three flats in a block, let's say, and you only own one, even if you're the freeholder and you give yourself permission to let out the rooms um, individually, the owners of the other flats can say that they've been disadvantaged and you could find yourself in hot water. Best to be avoided. So back to the search criteria. So I put in a minimum of three bedrooms and looked for results of houses that had two receptions. That was because I was thinking I'll either have a four room HMO with a lounge or I'll have a five room HMO with no lounge. Lastly, I only looked in boroughs and counties that hadn't implemented an Article 4 directive for HMOs. And we'll get into this in a future episode where we talk about planning and permitted developments and other things like that. I also always have a maximum price that I'm prepared to pay. And this may go down based on my rent calculations, which again, I will get from property data. So once you've got your search results, you can then start to narrow things down. Just scrolling down the pages on Rightmove, you will know which properties you're interested in. I tend to favour fairly traditional buildings as opposed to more modern ones, particularly if I'm looking at houses. Now, I will just try and describe very briefly um, how to use Rightmove effectively um, because I've been amazed at the number of people that I've spoken to who don't actually know how to use it properly. So if you do know how to use it, do please pardon me. I shall try and rush through this. Um, but if you don't, then it this may well be something that you want to play over a couple of times whilst you are looking at Rightmove itself on a laptop or on a tablet. So once you click on a property, you will have the pictures kind of like towards the top of the page. And then immediately underneath the pictures will be five horizontal tabs. The first one is description, which is the default one. So as soon as you click on a property, you will have 
all the description of that property there underneath the pictures. It is quite important because it gives you a feel for the property. The next one along is the floor plan. Now, for me, this is absolutely crucial because it helps me visualize internal possibilities. If a property doesn't have a floor plan, it, it usually goes straight off my list. Then you've got the third tab, which is the map stroke street view. Now, this is actually really useful. The map shows you how close it may well be to a station and the street view will give you information that can help you decide if a viewing is worth it. I tend to offer on 90% of properties that I go to view because a viewing for me is simply to make sure that there aren't any obvious structural defects to the property because I'm usually sold on it on my desktop. I once fell in love with a flat and thank goodness for street view because it showed me that the access to the flat was via an alleyway, which was next to a scrapyard. Well, no thank you. Then the fourth tab on right move is the school checker tab, which is very good if you want to let the property out or you want to flip it or you're looking to live in it and you want to be near a particular school. Then the fifth one is the market info. I tend not to use this tab anymore because of property data which does a much better job at giving me um, all the market info related to any particular property that I'm looking at. Before we leave Rightmove though there are three other very important bits of information on this page. On the right hand side of the description is the listing history box. This tells you when a property was first listed on Rightmove. And if it's been there a long time, then the seller may well be highly motivated. So properties that have been on Rightmove for a long time usually interest me quite a bit. Under the listing history information is the same map that we saw before, but underneath this smaller map is a list of the three nearest stations to the property and how far away each one is. This information is absolutely crucial and can have a direct impact on how much you pay. To the right-hand side of the map stroke station information is the third piece of valuable intel and it's headed properties sold nearby. This is literally the sales history of the street or the road that you're looking at. If you click on the link view more and this is usually under the first three sales listed in fact there's only ever three there you can see the full sales history of the street stroke road and they're usually listed in date order from the most recent you see the full address usually the size and the type of property for example it could be three bed terraced three bed semi, three bed detached, three bed leasehold and such basic information. And you also see the last few sales for each address. You may also see a thumbnail and floor plan for some properties, which if you do and you click on them, you will be able to see that property's last listing. Now this is invaluable information because it allows you to see the photographs and the floor plans of some of the neighbouring properties. You can now start to compare like for like. So if you are buying a 50, let's say, square metre uh, two bed flat on Street A 
for £50,000, you would want to look at two bed flats in this information area to see how much they sold for. So I want to look at the one bed flats on that street as well. Are they similar in size to the one that you're looking at? If your target used to be a one bedroom flat, was it changed into a two bedroom flat with the freeholder's consent? If not, you might be able to use this information as leverage to get the price down. But be prepared to walk away if the seller won't price it accordingly. Red flags usually go up for me with open plan kitchen stroke lounges. Depending on the lease terms, if a flat has been converted, say, from a one bed to a two bed without the freeholder's consent, the freeholder can ask the current lessee to put the flat back to how it was. So if you've gone and bought a two bed flat that didn't have the freeholder's consent when it was being converted from a one bed, you would not only have paid a two bed price for a one bed flat, you may also face the costs of reinstatement. That is clearly bad news. And you can avoid that by using this section of Rightmove. From Rightmove, you've now got one or two targets. They tick all of your initial boxes, but you want more information just to make sure that you're not mistaken and that what you're actually going to get is going to be a killer property. And that's where property data comes into it. So you can use property data for nearly everything to do with property searches. The valuation tool just on its own has saved me from offering too much on a few properties that I'd fallen in love with. I absolutely loved them off of right move. It all seemed right. The price seemed right. And I got into property data and it was a different story altogether. I still offered on them. I was told no. I was happy to walk away. And the HMO valuation tool is so spot on. No one should embark on an HMO conversion without first running the figures through it. So property data's valuation tool has nine boxes that you will need to complete. The first one asks for the full postcode. Now, if you don't have a full postcode, you can get that from Postcode Finder. Just Google it. The second one asks you what type of property you've got. So that'd be flat, terraced house, semi or detached. The next one asks you to choose one of the three dates when the property was built. So that could be pre-1914, 1914 to 2000 or from 2000. The next area is for the size of the property that you are looking at. And if you don't know the size of the property, you can again go into the tools which is on property data and click on internal area lookup and then just input your postcode. Once you have the address, it will give you the, the size of the property. Then you need the number of bedrooms and the number of bathrooms. The next one is the finish quality. That goes from very high to high, average, below average, unmodernized. Then you've got outdoor space. Again, just input whatever is appropriate. So that is either non, a balcony stroke terrace, a garden or a very large garden. Then you've also got off street parking, which is none, one space, 
two spaces, three spaces, etc. And once you've input all of this information, you can then click on value property and it will give you a price for your property and a plus or minus figure. Now, your postcode's not gonna change, your property type's not gonna change, your construction date's not gonna change, your internal area may or may not change, the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms, and the finish quality, they're the things that I play around with, and I change those to let me know what sort of value I might be able to add depending on what I do to the property in question. So if it's a three bedroom house, for instance, and I'm thinking about going into the loft, I will change the number of bedrooms for the house into four and then press the value property button to let me know whether or not it's gonna be worth my while. With the HMO rental valuation tool, Again, you've got a number of boxes that you are required to fill in. It starts with a full postcode, your finish quality, asks you if it's got a living room, if it's got parking, if it has outside space, and then you start to input details for each bedroom that's gonna be in the HMO. So your options are double ensuite, double shared bathroom, single ensuite, single shared bathroom, and you input this information for each of the bedrooms that you are going to be offering. And then when you finish, you just click on the HMO valuation button. And that's it. So I was buying this three bedroom house in Southwest London that I wanted to convert into an HMO. Normally when you're buying to let and you need a mortgage, the lender will ask the valuer for two valuations. One will be for the capital value of where you're buying to make sure that it's worth what you are going to pay for it and what they're going to lend you on the property. And the second one is to do with the rents. Property data also gives you both of these valuations. So anyway, I was buying this three bedroom house and the valuer went in there. So this is a three bedroom house in southwest London, a semi-detached house, and the valuer went in and said it would only rent for 1500 a month. So I challenged it because she was supposed to value it on the basis of it being an HMO. So she came back and said, even when being used as an HMO, it would only bring in 1500 a month. So I needed a £2,000 a month rental valuation for my sums to work. And I knew that house, even as it was, and even if I used it as an HMO on the day that it was valued, ought to bring in, now we're talking Southwest London, at least £500 per room. So if I had five rooms, that was 2,500. Now 500 pounds a month, a room in Southwest London is very conservative. Property data had the current value as 2,799 pounds a month. And when I changed the spec to a high spec, which is what I was planning to do with it, it gave me a rental figure of 4,421 pounds a month. So I knew it was going to be worth it, but I just had to make the sums work for me first. So I appealed the valuer's assessment. 
But long story short, she still said no. I made it work. I had to get a slightly different mortgage. And when I finished the conversion and let out my high spec rooms, I started earning £4,620 a month immediately. So with property data, you will need an account. And once you sign up, you will have 14 days free within which to play around with property data, test it, find out if it's right for you. And if you're not happy with it, at the end of the um, free period, the trial period, you can literally just close your subscription down. If you do want to carry on, then you will be entitled to 50% off your first month's subscription fee, which Property Money Tree has negotiated for you. You can access the link to get your free 14 days, which you can get anywhere anyway. But if you go through the link on the propertymoneytree.co.uk site, then you will also be entitled to your 50% discount at the end of your free period. And on that note, we end today's show. Thank you for joining me today. And I hope that at the very least, you have found the talk thought-provoking. There will be some bonus scenes being released over the next few weeks, so please do come back. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe. In any event, please do rate and review the episode because all feedback is good. Whether you enjoyed it or not, it would be great to read your feedback. Thank you very much and hopefully see you next month.